0: These days, there are a lot of ways to be a leader in the Catholic Church. On this podcast, we'll take a closer look at the stories of the women and men who, through the sacrament of baptism, have been called into places of leadership in the church. We'll hear about the practical realities of their ministry and what gets them out of bed each morning. But we'll especially take a look at the way God has called them to serve. Because guess what? He could be calling you in this very same way. This is an Infinite Ways podcast. Hello and welcome, everyone. This is episode of Infinite Ways. I'm Jonathan Sitko, uh, Director of Programs for the Catholic Apostle Center, and today I'm joined by Stephen Serafin, Pastoral Associate at St. Bartholomew Parish in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. And thank you, Stephen, for joining us. Um, And I think as a a very healthy first sort of question is, I know this is a bit of a heavy question, but how did you come to work as a pastoral associate in New Jersey? Thanks, John. Uh, Yeah, it's It's been a sort of a
1: roller coaster of a path for me Um, when it comes to ministry. I've been involved in a lot of different ministerial jobs, Um, but where I think it really began was uh, a retreat that I attended my uh, junior year of high school. Uh, That's really where this bug for doing like uh, wanting to be doing some type of ministry. But at the time, I actually had no idea that this could actually be a career path or or a vocation of what I would eventually become to know it as. Um, and so the this retreat was a search retreat. It's much like the like Kairos retreats that comes out of the Crisio movement. Um, but it really fostered an encounter for me of God and faith that then began to, been, I was able to see the ripple effects of that in my life, looking to the past and then also looking into the future. Um, and so it really set a, a strong foundation for me of that the faith was something important to me. It was something it was where I took my own sort of ownership of the faith on that retreat. Uh, but it was from that retreat that I actually began to see all of the people that were in my life working to lead me to where I am today. Um, I would say that the number one thing that has gotten me to where I am is, is people uh, and how God has used different people in my life to help me at least take one step. Some accompanied me for many steps, but some just even just did. Uh, through an event or through an, uh, a single opportunity, really gave me that that uh, just that, that that initial step forward towards this mission of being a pastoral associate at Saint Bartholomew's, and we'll get into sort of what that entails. But the I would say that starting from my parents, uh, then there were some key religious figures, whether that be priests or most importantly, there was a religious sister uh, who really just was very intentional and accompanied me when. I was struggling through school uh, that really played uh, a key role in showing me what does it mean to be Christ to another person and why that is so important. And the more people that I got to know about that, the more I uh, or that were examples of that to me, the more I wanted to sort of be that same example to others. Um, And so her name was Sister Jeanette. Uh, She actually passed away about two years ago. But uh, I was really struggling during third and fourth grade with academics. At the time, I did not know I was dyslexic. Uh, And she pulled me aside and really just very patiently worked with me on everything. Uh, Now, in hindsight, I see that what she did is exactly how I needed to learn, which she she would pause. She would read me. She would read to me like the stories from the textbooks or the things we were supposed to be learning. And I learned that that's actually how I, I learned well because of my uh, dyslexia and the autotransference deficiency. But she just, because of her faith, took this time, had this patience, and showed me that like we are more than our limitations. And I think that's the whole point of the, the Christian faith is that when we find our vocation and our call, we are able to uh, achieve things that we didn't think were possible.
0: You had mentioned your parents as well as being an influence. What about them helped you to get to the point where you are today.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so I don't think I fully appreciated their role until much, much later in life. It probably wasn't until college that I really appreciated all that they put
0: into it. Isn't that the case with every, every child? Exactly.
1: Yeah. You don't get the appreciation as the parent. I think if you're a parent listening to this, like know that you are much appreciated, appreciative. And, um, but so my mom, the faith was something always passionate for her. And my dad sort of was dragged along the way. Uh, But that changed as we grew up. And so my dad actually found connection and and fraternity to with the Knights of Columbus. Um, And it was actually through the Knights of Columbus that he began to engage heavier with the faith or more with the faith. Um, This was this wasn't until I was probably in high school and into college as well. So it was a little bit of a later journey, but he just supported my mom in our upbringing in the faith. And so we were always, uh, my mom was making sure we were there every Sunday. They practiced the faith of the home by praying with us. And my dad just sort of jumped on board to that. But it was cool to see that as I've been on this, my own journey to see how my dad also has deepened his faith in the second half of life uh, that he has. And, um, but I would say that it's my, my mom sort of, example of how important this is and how even in times of loss and suffering you can uh the faith is always there it's not something that can ever be taken away from you and so one of the things that a big uh, event that happened in my life is that my when i was four uh we had a house fire uh and so uh, this was actually on super bowl sunday uh and so if you're a, a this is us fan uh we actually mimic this story so that happens in the show this is us but uh we had this house fire and it was just me and my brother at the time and my mom and dad and um, a power line actually fell and hit our water main electrified the whole house. And basically everything was lost because they couldn't do anything to the fire until the power was off. Wow. The irony about this whole story is that we had a fire department right across the street from our house. (laughs) And so we went over there, we hung out there for the whole day, but they really couldn't do anything for the material things. And I think for my mom, this showed that like, what's the core in her life? The cores were her family was safe and that she could turn to the faith in this time of suffering. And there was a community within our parish that was there that was showed us an abundance of support. And I say, I think those different elements are what led me initially. And this would took years for me to realize that this was here, but the, it, it was those elements that really, um, sort of solidified the faith for my mom and then eventually what she passed on to us and one of the things that i don't think many people can say is she did a great job because all of her kids are still actively practicing
0: uh oh, wow. the faith
1: and i don't know how that how like I, I always try to figure out like what's that secret that made us all stay connected and i really think it's that really core of, like, of priorities so like what where does this really fall and she just emulated that by her example. It wasn't even stuff that she tried to teach us per se. It was more of that. This was important to her. She was there on Sunday when we'd be home praying before a meal or, or something like that. It was just part of her witness.
0: Wow. I mean, yeah, I was going to ask like basically how did she, what was it about her? And I think that you expressing that it wasn't necessarily, you know, the, the prayers that she taught or any of that stuff, but Really, the example that she led, I think, is is very commendable on mm-hmm. her part. Um, and so I think, you know, we talked about sort of high school and college. Fast forward, because, you know, you're now working in parish life. What happened to you post-college yeah. that brought and you so this to? This where the sort of the
1: many different sort of uh, opportunities came available and just sort started- of like. I got to see sort of the different aspects of ministry that you could do. And so right after I went to Catholic university and then right after, uh, that I, I, um, was accepted into the echo program. So I began to get a master's in theology. Um, but with that, you get placed somewhere in the country. And so this is my first sort of, uh, ministerial sort of work aspect of ministry that I was put into. And I was put into a, a parish up in New Hampshire, um, St. John Newman in Merrimack, New Hampshire. And, I got to see sort of what the the ins and out of parish life were. And so I had a very uh, amazing experience within Echo because normally sometimes you get put into a particular role that the parish needs, but my mentor and pastor at the parish really wanted me to see what the uh, holistic view of parish ministry would be. And so they allowed me to sort of uh, be an apprentice to every area. And so I spent some time looking at the, the religious education Program that they had within youth ministry, but then I also would attend their pastoral council meetings, their finance council meetings. I would be in on the financial decisions, and so I really got to see a whole picture of what does it take to not only uh, effectively minister to a parish, but but effectively run the parish community. And so that was my initial um, sort of view of professional ministry, and then from there. Uh, I did not actually end up in a parish. I ended up in a Catholic high school. I worked at Morris Catholic high school in Denville, New Jersey as their freshman theology teacher slash campus minister. And so I got to see a whole different world of what, uh, other types of ministry could be and where, um, this beauty of being able to accompany students every day within the development of theology and formation. And and I, I really enjoyed that and being able to revamp sort of, um, the campus ministry program, and try to offer a little bit more engaging retreats that connected back to the what they were learning in the classroom it was really great. And so I only did that for about a year, because one of the things that I found working in the school system was that we were creating and fostering this these relationships and this deep-rootedness of faith, but then many of them were returning to parishes and coming back to me saying, like, I don't feel engaged there. I don't know how, like, how do I connect or go deeper there, I feel like I get more in the classroom. And so then it, it hit me that I think we need to develop uh, stronger parishes that really accompany them beyond just sacramental accompaniment. Like how are we accompanying across the life cycle? And so uh, I was given an opportunity to become a director of faith formation in a parish. Uh, and so I did that for about five years until, um, and we, we try to build on this model of how are we accompanying the whole parish uh, and creating a communal parish environment. And uh, and so I did that for five years, and then I spent uh, two years as a diocesan director for or associate diocesan director for the Archdiocese of Newark. I worked for the catechetical office because I was trying to take the model that we had in this parish and extend it to other parishes. Um, and then finally, now we end up here where I am today as the pastoral associate of St. Bartholomew's. Um, and this is a unique role. I had met this pastor um while I was working in the archdiocese and he really wanted to come up with a co-responsible model to parish administration uh, in something that really pulls forth the gifts from laity and the clergy uh, and how do we work that work to best together. And so we uh, developed this model where we sort of act as like a co-administrator of the parish um, and we collaborate on almost every decision that has to be made and then when it comes to the formation and, and leadership of the staff, we sort of tag team that as well. And our goal here and why he brought me on board is how do we create a culture of discipleship that really has a communal uh, responsibility to walking with every member of the parish across the life cycle? Because the reality is we cannot do it as, a, as one pastor or a team. We cannot uh, do or fulfill Christ's mandate on our own. And it really takes the whole community to be a part of it. And so what's been nice is that this has been such a a blank slate of, he said let's just try new things. Let's try to engage families better. Um, And so we're really trying to develop this model of intentional discipleship that is built off of the back of uh, intentional faith communities around the parish where we're putting families together that are in common um, parts of the life cycle. And Builds beyond just sacramental preparation or, or moving to an event.
0: So you had mentioned this sort of co-responsible model for your parish. For those listeners who may not know what that is, when you're talking about like co-responsibility and, you know, the sort of normal modus operandi of a parish, how is this different from sort of the quote unquote stereotypical or traditional model that we see in U.S. parishes? So true. We
1: always use language that only we know. John at times, (laughs) like modus operandi, like who knows what that word is. (laughs) Like the, but the reality is, is through our baptism, each of us is baptized into these three aspects of Christ. Right, that that Christ is priest, prophet, and king. So he's baptized into this, but we're also baptized into the church itself, the church body. right? Right, and so we have. We are part of a community of people. So actually the sacrament of baptism, one of my favorite parts of the sacrament of baptisms that's almost never done uh, in the actual right. But we should go back and we should we should use this is that uh, the person who is baptized is actually presented to the entire congregation, uh, yeah. like in front of everybody to say, like, okay, now it's all of your responsibility to help walk this person through life. Um, not just the Godparents, not just the parents, the all who are present there are there to be examples of Christ to this newly uh, initiated member of the of the community. and I think we need to develop that more of like what that responsibility is of saying that we're walking with these these other people. Um, and this can be a very simple thing. Like you don't need a degree in theology or this background of the faith. It's really by your individual example and outreach to another. So for example, it's like you see this new family who's coming in with a little baby and uh, for the first time, you've never seen them around. It's really just going up and and uh, doing that warm invitation, making them feel comfortable. I, I have a two year old daughter, uh, almost two year old daughter. And I know that I tell people that it's okay, bring them, bring them. But you have this anxiety when you're with this two-year-old daughter who's yelling and screaming and clapping to the songs that like, oh, you know what, maybe I shouldn't be here right now. But the beauty of it is when you have these families coming up to you and engaging you and trying to hear your story or looking for that story, that anxiety goes down and you're like, okay, you know what, she wasn't that loud, she wasn't really screaming. And so I think we need to do better. When we talk about co-responsibility is that, for a long time, I think we've allowed sort of the pastor or parish teams to take on the entirety of, of what a parish is. But what at the, the core of it, the parish is the community itself. Um, the pastor and the parish team is just there to be sort of a guide uh, and to help with the unifying of these different groups that form. But the community, if you go back all the way to the early church, it really was established by individuals within that community who were there looking for the best and, and the good of, of that other individual. And so, for example, for like what I got to experience that when my family went through that fire, the community came together and supported us and got us new clothes and toys and, and different things. And I think that happens in tragedy at times, but it, we don't have mm-hmm. to wait for the tragedy. We can we can do it in the celebratory times, too, it's like when new couples are getting married, like, how are we reaching out to them, checking in on them, seeing how they're doing? You have the new child. Like, so beyond baptism, like, what are the things that are needed for that couple? And so is there people in the parish that are aware of that and are trying to reach out to that,
0: those groups of people? Sort of flipping, sort of related to what we've been discussing, but I think is always an interesting question, is are there any particular gifts you think God has given you that helps you in this role? like whether this current role or or previous roles that you didn't realize you had until, you know, it was clearly apparent by either someone else pointing it out to you, or maybe you just realized like, Oh, thanks. Thanks be to God because I have this ability to do whatever it might be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think um, what fascinates me in the role that I have is because I I have to public speak a lot. Um, I have to do a lot of different presentations And I hate all of those things. (laughs) Like I, I'm terrified at speaking in front of people. Um, but what I found fascinating about how God works through you is that when he, he provides you a passion and a direction, it just sort of comes naturally. And like those fears begin to, to fade away in all of ministry. I think the number one gift that seems to jump up to out to me is, uh, sort of like this gift of encouragement. Um, and so we have a thing called the charisms in the church. They, they are called, um, they're built off of like the gifts that we receive from the Holy spirit. And so the, I, one of those charisms, and it's from scripture is this idea of encouragement. And so like where you can pull out sort of other people's gifts and, and sort of help them direct them to areas where they are, uh, most effective Uh, And then, or if they're doing something like just to really lift them up, to do it as best as they can. Um, So I would say that is one. And then there's also this, um, I seem to always end up in these roles where it takes sort of like a unification of a group. And so, Mm -hmm. or or like, or like the coming together to be a little bit more cohesive. And that seemed to be something that has come very natural to me, uh, no matter the area. And so like, all throughout ministry I've seemed to fall into these roles, uh, even going back to um, college, like undergrad, we had like student ministry. And so like working with like, this group of students who was there to form the rest of the campus and help the rest of the campus get connected to different, uh, campus ministry events and different things. It's like I had fallen into these roles, which taught, which required someone to come together and like pull out the gifts of others. And so I feel like that's what God has really helped me to do. Um, and I think that's what has led me to this role in ministry because I think that's the primary thing I have to do on a daily basis is how do I meet a parishioner, get to know their story, and then get them connected to the most beneficial thing for them to use the gift that God has given them. Uh, and so I would say yeah, those are definitely it, the, the main ones. And then what I find very fascinating is the how God uses the things that you look at as your sort of failures or lacking to a greater benefit of others as well and so with the learning disability i think it's made me had to rethink um how we hand on to the faith to other people and how it can't just be this more intellectual engagement of the faith like it has to be a more uh well-rounded approach to faith so that that we're really forming the full person that we're not just giving them knowledge about their faith, but we're showing them that there is like a tactile and a very tangible aspect to our faith that we can tap into on a daily basis. Uh, and I think because of my learning disability, and I always hesitate to even calling it a learning disability because I just feel like we all think differently. And so like mm-hmm. once you figure out what's the best way that you learn and grow, it helps you a- adapt more. And then I think in a formative and trying to form people, we need to understand that, that everyone is going to come to formation in a different way. And you might have come to it in one way, and that's great. But, like, learning how is this person going to be most affected, and what formation process would most uh, get them to have a deeper relationship with God?
0: Yeah, I I always think it's amazing just, uh, you know, in, in reflecting on my own sort of gifts and talents, this idea that, you know, God does work through us in even our, like, what we consider to be our faults or failures but uses it at the very least as an example for others. If we know how to, how to communicate that, that, you know, what we consider to be a deficiency or whatever, God can turn into a, a proficiency in some ways, mm-hmm. um, as you, as you sort of express it. I, I'm curious though, if there's ever been a time in your ministerial work that you've struggled, you know, and you don't have to go into super specifics, you know, blasting one of your previous assignments or whatever, but yeah. you know, why was it, Why was it a struggle? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think
1: in every assignment, there's been moments of struggle that are there. And I think that the biggest one that brings the struggle, the the biggest thing that happens when the the struggles start to arise is that your just life gets unbalanced. Like that's something that was told to me at a very beginning stage of my ministry is this idea of balance and making sure you have this balance. But as life goes on, that balance becomes even harder, right? In the initial time in ministry, it was me. I didn't have to really worry about much because I was there. And then, uh, my wife and I got married and so now I'm balancing ministry and, and home life. And now with a daughter, it's even more challenging of like, how do you balance this? And, and I feel like we live in a world that is always, um, that is always, uh, striving for your, our time and intention, right? Like that we are trying to, um, we are, everyone wants your full hundred percent, attention on, on all things all the time that like they want your direct response. And so it's like, how do you come up with this balance? You it's weighing this idea of where we're trying to build relationships, but at the same time that has to be put on pause at times so that you can continue to grow the most important relationships that you have. Um, and so I would say that especially during major life transitions, ministry is the most difficult. So when I first got married, trying to find that the new schedule, and it took a lot of dialogue with my wife of like, how do we balance that that time? When we first started uh, living together after we got married, we thought we were in a long distance relationship for the majority of our time. And we were very intentional about making time for each other. But when we got married, we're like, okay, we're gonna see each other all the time. This is gonna be a problem. And we saw each other like zero times. Like it was like, mm-hmm. we kept passing each other. We had no intentional time with each other because she was a night nurse and I was working during the day. And so like, it was just like, this back and forth. And so it hit us very, uh, quickly when we got married that, okay, we need to actually be as intentional as we were previously to m- schedule that this out and make sure that we are putting us first as that primary, that, that priority, um, over the ministry itself. And so just finding that balance. And I feel like that's the number one thing that leads to burnout is this idea that there is, uh, you just feel like you're overwhelmed by what you have to do. And the reality is ministry never ends. So it's a tough job. You you're there's always something else you could be doing. And so it's like it's like, how do you put your time in, put it aside, and do that. And so then the other one that took me a while to learn in ministry is that your spiritual life is as important as your home life. And so those two have to be up first before you can actually do active ministry. If those two are healthy, then your ministry is gonna be healthy. And so I think for me, anytime in those moments of transition where uh, like I got married and when we had our daughter, when we moved uh, or when we started new jobs, that causes the most tension and to,
0: to really be even more intentional during those times. So I t- sort of talked about some of the, the struggles or, or pitfalls. What's one of the things that makes you, that brings you the most joy or, or most I don't want to say joy because it's sort of a, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. sort of a selfish thing, but more so like how do you – what gives you great, you know, honor or or great enjoyment in the work that you do? It it could be a small thing. It could be a large thing. But why – you know, ultimately why is – why does that bring you joy?
1: Yeah. So I think when we talk about balance, I think one of the things that can really get in the way of some of balancing of life is, is wonderful social media that we have, but there's actually one real great joy about social media that comes with ministry is that you get to stay connected to these people that you've Mm -hmm. served and been a part of their lives indefinitely if they're a part of it. Um, and so I think one of the greatest joys that I have is just seeing the progression of life of these people that you've had a moment of their formation journey with, um, And so a lot of my kids that I've served in the parish and in the school, uh, they have all gone to college and now they're out in the, um, they're out in the workforce and to see how their faith is still a role within their life and that the communities that we've created, they still turn back to Uh, like, for example, right now we're trying to start a youth conference here at the parish. And I reached out to the, like there's a, around 60 or so kids that we had brought in the past just to get some um, input and like how we should send it out. And like, if they could help engage and they, uh, they were, they, the text messages and the, the emails I was receiving are like how formative that was for them and how they want to give that back to other people. And so I think it's, it's really just being able to see we in ministry, a lot of times we don't get to see, the fruit mm-hmm. of the labor that you put in, right? Like, And you don't get to see that initial, like, what is this going to do? But the longer you're in ministry, the lo- the more you get to get that. And like, it's, the, it's those common sort of like just random messages that you get that are, are just so like in gratitude of what they experienced. Um, I think that that's where I der- derive all my uh, excitement and, and the continuation of wanting to do this. And so, I always say there's two phrases that I've come up with in doing ministry. And I think the first one is like, we do everything for the one person. So you get the one person to grow a little closer to God. You did your job. Like that's, that's, that's what's important. Uh, And the second one is my image of heaven. I would love this to be the thing would be that you get up to heaven. And the first question you're asked is how many people did you bring with you? And it's at that Mm. moment that you get to actually see all of these little seeds that have been planted and where they went. Um, because I, I think when you go back to that idea of like, we are part of a body, right? And so like, you're just assisting this larger body. And like, so I I think, I think that would be a beautiful way to really see the, the, the great joy and, and depth of what you are able to do to be able to look back.
0: In This is sort of a completely random thing, but I, I, I'm kind of curious to the to your thoughts on this since you've done a lot of work and a lot of thoughts on sort of accompaniment and ministerial stuff. But for, for our listeners who may not actually, you know, they're active in their parish in the sense that like they attend mass weekly, um, they may volunteer a little bit, um, but not really, you know not really a huge part of the the community in the sense that, you know, how I, how, what I'm thinking of like those, those volunteers or yeah. or people that everybody quote unquote knows in a parish, what are some things you would recommend to them in sort of getting over that hurdle, whether it's, you know, that they're super bit, they find themselves super busy or uh, they don't, they don't, they feel inadequate maybe mm-hmm. for example. Um, what are some suggestions you would give to someone like that? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I, it's funny. I had a, one of
1: our um, dads who's pretty involved in the parish. We had a really uh, deep conversation the other day uh, because he was overwhelmed. Like he wants to be involved and do things in the church, uh, but he has three kids. And so he, like, he has three different schedules. So basically three different full-time jobs that he's getting them from one thing to the next, the next. And she, he felt like this lack of imbalance that was happening. Um and one of the things I just think it's sometimes a helpful reminder is that like we have control of our schedules, even though the world wants us to think that they have control of our schedules, mm-hmm. so the, the coach to the, for the sports team or the event, even the church trying to tap, like take your time. Like, I think it's important for the parents and anybody to realize that like you have the ability to control your schedule and list your priorities the way you want to list them um, and do what's going to be most effective, effective for you and for your family and for the people that surround you. I just think we need to promote that a little bit more that, that that you have this ability to structure it and it's okay to take a pause and actually do that. Like it's at times we're trying to do that on the move and like fit things in and, and it's okay to actually pause. So I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing is to realize that like no one is inadequate to do what God's calling them to do. It's just, you have to figure out and pray through like, what is that that he's actually calling me to do? Um, and I think what we can do as a parish a little bit more, or, or even any type of institution within a school or nonprofit is, is trying to get them to truly comprehend what are these gifts that they have given me that I've been given. Right. And so I think once you connect the gift and then connect that gift to an aspect of the mission, then things can start to move a little bit easier and. Um, because there is this hurdle of, of, and I think we've done this also to ourselves in when it comes to parish ministry, that it's like, it's no, 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 like you've been trained to do this. And what's fascinating is like the most of my job is doing things that I've never taken a single class on, <laughs> right? It, it, it's really this engagement of a person and showing them that you become this witness of Christ to them just by the, your actions that you have, the way that you, the hope that you have, the joy that you have, the the care that you have for them as a, as an individual and a part of the, the the body as well. Um, and so I think those are two things is is to realize that I think it's important that we have these occasional pauses to really relook at our priority list and, and to cut off some of those things or take a break from some of those things that are very time taxing on our relationships so that we can, um, really be most effective in and keep that balance. So I think that's the first thing. And the second one is the more that we can better understand the gifts that God gave us and connect that to the ability of, of mission. This idea that each of us is put on mission in some way to lead more people to Jesus. And that can be done in a subtle way. That can be done in a more direct way than what I do. Uh, but there's a way to foster that, uh, with anybody within a parish community. Um, but it does it, it, that, that takes some time to, and to what we call discernment, where you really prayerfully reflect on what is God calling me to do, and how is He calling me to do it. And it's funny, like to bring this a little f- full circle, is that the religious sister who pulled me aside um, when I was in fourth grade because I was struggling with with school. That's the one thing that she like drilled into me, and so this is why it's so part of my own uh, thinking is that she would always say that. During the consecration, so when the priest lifts up uh, Jesus at Mass, she said, "Ask Jesus two things, or ask Jesus one thing." She said, uh, "Just God, show me what you want me to do, right?" And just just use that moment. He's right in front of you. He's present. Just show me what you want me to do, and it begins to. That prayer is such a powerful prayer. So I'll just be careful if you want to use it. Very powerful prayer because he starts showing you, and then that requires a response. But the I would definitely say that it's just being that intentional of,
0: of seeking, like, how is God calling me to serve the other? As a sort of one of my last questions for you, and I appreciate the time you've been taking for this. What's one, whether spiritual prayer, however you want to define it, practice that helps you um, understand that you're doing this as a, a service to the church so that you don't treat it just as quote unquote, another job.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So the surrender novena. That's an easy one. Uh, so the surrender novena is my favorite prayer of all time. Um, and for be, those who aren't necessarily familiar with it, what it, what are, what's entailed in that? Sure. I will, I will do that. Yeah. So the, so a novena is this nine days of prayer. I actually pray it like every day, so it shouldn't even be called a <laughs> novena for me. And so there's basically a little prayer that you pray for, for the nine days. Uh, but I just take one of those little prayers and I pray it each day. Um, the surrender novena was given to Padre Pio. Um, uh, by his spiritual director. And it was this, uh, prayer that really centered himself and always put his eyes on what the true mission was for. Right. So this idea that, that we do this for God and that God is our, all of our end goals. Um, and being in ministry, I feel like I'm not the only person in ministry that struggles with this is that you want to try to make everything as perfect as possible. And you want to try to, uh, make sure it's as effective as, as possible. But the whole reality of what we're trying to do is that we're trying to take the perfect and bring it into the imperfect. And then I am also imperfect. So it's like, it's very difficult. Right. And so I've always found that starting my day with the surrender novena always re uh, refocuses like what I'm doing and that I'm, I'm doing this for him, good or bad. This is, we're, we're moving towards that, that larger mission of trying to get, many people as we can to have a deeper relationship with God, with Christ. And um, it's just been super helpful. And, and then I think also when it comes to the anxieties and stresses that we get built up on uh, throughout our, uh, our weeks is it, it's somewhere to, to place that and say, Hey, you know what? This is here, but I know you have a control of, of this and like, let's put this aside. And so many times I've had to do that in ministry just because it, in any like any job you can get um that overwhelming but our what makes our job a little different is that like we're not the primary person doing our job right like that that you have the you have you have god you have the holy spirit you have christ you have jesus and so there's there's a much greater force behind here that you can turn it over to to take it that those last steps that you're struggling through so
0: yeah it's super duper helpful and i think that's a helpful thing for people who are in ministry to remember is, you know, that that element. And I think you having a routine prayer to remind yourself of that, I think is is very commendable. Um, we're almost done with our time here, but is there anything else you would want to say, or if there's anyone in particular that maybe you didn't mention in your story that you, you feel should deserve a shout out at the end here? There's, that list would go on for, forever, <laughs> I think, of, of
1: how many people have been really active in my life. Um, and I don't want to offend anyone for leaving them out. So the, the uh, no, but like I said, I think my, my story is built on the people that God placed in my life that really unpacked the gifts that I had been given. Uh, and so if I can encourage anybody, if you can have take like a half a day to really um, just think back. And then try to think of who were those key figures in your life that really God put there to help you overcome. It could be a single thing, but like, but, and it's really fascinating to see um, sort of what, um, what God has done. And sometimes we can
0: only see that by looking into the
1: past and seeing that.
0: Mm -hmm. No, I think that's, that's a beautiful way to wrap up. And so I want to thank you, Stephen, for joining me today on In In Infinite Ways. If anyone would like more information about the Catholic Apostle Center, please visit catholicapostlecenter.org, where we have free resources to share in the hopes of spreading the gospel. And in the words of our patron, St. Vincent Pilati, may the charity of Christ urge us on. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks, John.